You're listening to the AI Optimist with Declan Dunn. We have to make sure that the AI, the data that's collected, the systems that are created have words that us as developers are not used to. Things like empathy, um, things like desire, things like humanity. And this is why um, we're going to get into a, a new level of, um, quote, diversity Whereas in the past, we've been worried about things like, ah, there's not enough women up in here. There's not enough black people. Yeah, you know, it's like, forget all that. Yeah. We don't have enough philosophers, religious leaders, you know, sociologists, psychologists. These are the people that need to be in the mix when we're talking about developing AI systems. I mean, just imagine you're creating a system that's going to essentially represent or proxy humanity. And there's no humanness in the process. There's just a bunch of engineers. Hey, this week, a really special guest, William Adams, software engineering trailblazer, award-winning DEI innovator, and philanthropist. When he reached out to me and said, I want to share how to leverage AI to positive advantage rather than be bowled over by it, I was not only fascinated, he, he co-founded the Microsoft Leap Apprentice Program, training people in India and Africa. What I found out is that those very continents might be the source of AI innovation, not the U.S., Europe, and China. Listen and find out why this matters. Have some fun here. This is a great one. I was so excited when you reached out to me about the just the show idea of how to leverage AI to positive advantage rather than be bowled over by it. It's critical, first of all, um, when I talk to people about, you know, in air quotes, AI, it's, it's a big mystery box, right? Because AI, artificial intelligence, like, well, that word has been around for decades. Um, and it means different things to different people at different times. Today, really what people know as AI is large language models. You know, the chat GPT being the biggest um, well-known example of that. Um, and, and it's really funny because when you look at ChatGPT, there's actually no intelligence there. All it's doing is predicting what's the next word based on looking at all the words in the world, <laughs> all the documents of the world, and saying, well, nine times out of ten, when this word is, appears, the following word is, you know, the next word. Yeah. There's no intelligence there. It's just kind of, you know. So I think the, the trick of this sort of stuff is to not get um, not get uh, depressed by the oh overlord sort of thing, like oh the robots are going to take over and they're smarter than us and they're just going to crush us. It's like ah, it, it's not about we're not at the intelligence level yet, but what we are at is a lot of things that formerly were challenging are no longer as challenging, right? Like, for instance, someone needs to write a memo, you know, or write a sales pitch or something like that. It's pretty easy to go to a chat GPT and say, write me a memo to my employees about the company picnic and do it in the voice of Mark Twain. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, sure. It can do parlor tricks like that. And uh, it turns out that a lot of what we do is along those lines. Right. A lot of white collar work is along those lines. Um, 
Now I have a I have a personal assistant, and at first I was explaining to this stuff to her a year ago. You know, this is how it's this is what it can do for you. And what we said was, you need to learn how to use this new tool. Don't be afraid of the tool. You know, it's kind of like a farmer being afraid of a tractor, right? <laughs> it's like, well, don't be afraid of the tractor. Learn how to use the tractor. It's going to make you more productive, right? So this is the this is the essential of of the thing is to say first of all let's not be afraid of the tools let's not be afraid of the tractor, you know it's this big beast and it belches smoke and you know it's really loud and all that, but all it does is plow the ground and you have to tell it where to plow the ground, right? Put away your 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 ox and your your uh, plow and jump on the tractor. AI is the same way. Right, especially these large language models. Like, don't be afraid of it. Understand what it is. Touch it. Use it, and figure out how it can enhance what you do, rather than you being bowled over by it. Right. Um, that's in very broad terms. Um, what I'm talking about. So it's about understanding where the tech is, where it's going in the short term, long term, and how you can use it. And the fact that you actually need to do something—you can't just sit idle and think it's going to pass. It's going to pass by. It's like yeah, no, like cars it's are here to stay. <laughs> you know, tractors are here to stay. Airplanes are here to stay. Uh, it, it's not going to disappear. We're actually this is now a new part of our lives. Just learn about it and figure out how to use it. Right. So that's, and, that's the essence of what I'm talking about. Like it just started last November when ChatGPT took over things. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, I mean, there was a, in the last couple decades, um, in the 80s and even in the 90s, we had things, um, back propagation is the core of like neural networks and stuff like that. And this is the, the learning part of these things, you know, where you feed it data and, and you say, that's the right answer, that's the wrong answer. And it takes that back and it feeds it back on itself and says, okay, um, A was correct, B was wrong. I'm going to do A next time, right? We already had that way back then, but the machines were slower. You didn't have as much memory. You couldn't store as much data. Now we talk about data sets that contain billions of pieces of information, right? So we went through the, what do they call it? The AI winter, right? Where we eventually said, well, um, th this stuff isn't real, right? Essentially because the technology, the hardware, the software just wasn't up to snuff. Uh, so everyone just kind of went, ah. but then over the last decade, right, uh, the machines got more powerful, the amount of RAM, the amount of storage, the algorithms improved. Google came along and said, hey, we could just do the statistical analysis on this stuff. You don't have to try to create an intelligent system. Just feed it all the data and let it figure it out. That was the turning point. Right. Because then yeah. suddenly it's like, oh, wait a minute. The hardware is kicking butt. <laughs> we can just feed it literally everything <laughs> and it'll figure out what the patterns are. That's the turning point. Right. Right. And now here we are. Now you can feed it everything. And Tesla's doing this with their cars even. Just don't don't tell it how to drive. Just show it videos of good drivers and let it figure it out. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the that's the differences. Uh, so that's where we're at today is like, 
the technology has changed, the algorithms have changed, and now we have to change our mindsets to match, right? I mean, that's where we are. No. So this is, this is the trick we're in today. Right? And, it really, and it really is because people are so used to, obviously, the way things have been, and this is like, to me, tectonic kind of stuff. Um, in yeah. so many levels, like the ability for somebody to create a startup as an entrepreneur and be able to weave together enough code to get started. But it brings up an interesting question. I actually read this on your recent blog. And uh, one of my questions on the AI Optimist is about job losses, displacement, and what's next, which is just all that fear, which yeah. is all fear of the future. But you wrote something I really enjoyed. I'd like to get some reflection from you. You said, we are at an inflection point where the tools are good enough that we need to make very conscious choices about how to engage and use them to ensure we reap yeah. the benefits to the betterment of humanity rather than cowering in fear of what might be done to us. That's a very important point. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, l like I said before, you can, you can see the birth of the gunpowder, <laughs> right? <laughs> And some people went, wow, this is great. We can make fireworks. <laughs> and other people said, this is great. We can kill people. So, you know, yeah. it, it, the tool can be used. The tool is just a tool. It doesn't know. It doesn't have a conscience of its, of its own. But the key thing to, um, to not end up cowering in fear or ending up like the Eloy, um, that's a literal reference to uh, um, Wells' time machine, yeah. um, is... We have to make sure that the AI, the data that's collected, the systems that are created have words that us as developers are not used to. Things like empathy, um, things like desire, things like humanity. And this is why um, we're going to get into a, a new level of, um, quote, diversity Whereas in the past, we've been worried about things like, ah, there's not enough women up in here. There's not enough black people. Yeah, it's like, forget all that. Yeah. We don't have enough philosophers, religious leaders, you know, sociologists, psychologists. These are the people that need to be in the mix when we're talking about developing AI systems. I mean, just imagine you're creating a system that's going to essentially represent or proxy humanity. And there's no humanness in the process. There's just a bunch of engineers. Well, how's that going to turn out? <laughs> right? right? All the pathologies that us engineers have are, are going to be reflected in these systems. So it's very important. And this is what I mean by the, the humanity part is it's very important that both in the data we feed the systems, the way we tune them, fine tune them, and the goals we set out for them have to have humanity at the center, right? If you have um, goals that are purely optimized for profit, for example, then you end up with systems that might look at the humans and go, it's more profitable if we don't feed them, right? <laughs> well, yes, but as humanity, we actually want to feed these people who are you know, living in the desert or whatever, under whatever circumstance, right? right? You have to imbue this system with what we think are humane desires. Now, that's a challenge because I'm not sure we as humanity have come to um, shared understandings of what humanity is, right? Yeah. We're hyper-competitive. That's our nature. That's how we've survived this long. Um, so it forces us to come to grips with our humanity, 
Because if we don't, we will be wiped out because the competing factions will create systems that are optimized for other things, not the preservation of humanity. And we'll just be wiped out, you know? And it doesn't even have to be a, a Terminator, sort of the robots get guns and kill us all. It can just be benign neglect, right? Oops, the system didn't build a, a water source for you 10,000 people over there, you know? Oops, we didn't optimize for you people over there getting educated, so you're not. You know, it's just death by a thousand cuts where 200 years from now, we'll look back and say, how come there's only 10 of us? <laughs> but and all we do is serve the machine. And all we do is serve the machine, you know? <laughs> but, but, uh, you, but it's fascinating. So we have to be careful. And and one of the things from, like, I see AI as such, like, a lot of the problems that come up with the data, and they always blame it on AI, but it's so such a mirror of what our biases yeah. are, or what are, like, a right, really exactly. brutal mirror. But look at right. like one of the things I just did a, a pod on creating compassionate AI. And I was talking about obviously social media algorithms and being based on an ad model. And if you're yeah. an ad model. Horrible. Right? No, and you're, and you're monetizable. But then with the events that happened in Israel recently, it was really weird. Even my wife ran into it who has children. So guess what she got to see? Those horror videos of children. Because yeah. the algorithm is designed to monetize only right. and it doesn't really serve the user and I, I've written a couple of things about this about turning that around because if you could actually reward people not put them in echo chambers but maybe bring them up perspectives that don't agree with them not to interrupt them but say right. hey have you ever thought of you know not to use the corny Silicon Valley phrase steel manning but have you ever taken another point of view here's what you're looking at let's let's Get you not necessarily out of your echo chamber, because you may like to live there, but allow you to just for a moment to see the perspective of the other person. That is right. so humanitarian in what it's just even being able to walk in their shoes for 10 seconds. I'm not assuming you really understand their experience, but understand right. that their experience and your experience, yours doesn't neglect theirs. Right. And that's that's so critical. I mean, you said two things in there. One is the data sets that exist today reflect our systems that exist today. All the bias is like take a, a timestamp of humanity today and lock it into all our AI systems. You're going to end up with a system that reflects all of the horrible biases of today. Right. So that's one thing. The other thing is. What I was talking about before, which is you have to imbue the system with, you know, certain desires and optimize for what you truly want. If your optimization is for ad revenue, then you're going to end up with things that just manipulate humans because we respond, right? You're just giving us endorphin hits or adrenaline hits. Yeah. So it's like, hey, here's a picture of a dying child. Hey, here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. Now buy this. Right. And we'll go, yeah. And then we'll buy whatever the thing is. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Or you 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 foster hate because hate is a strong emotion. It'll force you. Yeah. Hate, hate, hate. You want to buy a gun. Right. You know, I mean, that's what advertising does for you. So you have to you have to say, OK, um, that's a profit motive is at the center of that system. So you have to be able to say, well, is that the right thing to do? And it's a challenge because as soon as you say, no, no, I I, I want something that's 
for humanity. And so you go off to the side and do something that's a little bit more inclusive. Your competitor's like, whatever, more dollars for me. <laughs> you know? So their system sticks with the echo chamber model because it drives greater ad revenue and they make more money, even though you end up with worse humans. Right. Right. So it's it's a challenge. I mean, we as humans have to go, mm, no, I don't want that. You know, I, I, I don't want to become horrible. <laughs> right. right. I, I want something good to come of this. And that's the challenge. It's like, well, good isn't mon as monetizable as evil. But if we could come out like I start reading all these engineers because I work with a ton of engineers. I really love the different ways we think, like you said, social scientists, philosophy. But what I'm hearing is morality, ethics, fairness in the algorithms. And right. you never like and I'm saying this like you didn't used to. It just used to be so Darwinian. As I heard a funny line, the death cult of capitalism, create your moat and destroy them and then to find like. I was reading somebody who was in the um, alignment problem by Brian Christian was pointing out that a lot of times the data driven people would say, OK, here's the sample. Great. We're all data driven. But then they saw things like compass in the judicial system, which yes. came up right and skewed totally like, right. OK, well, there's a lot of black people in jail, so we're going to skew this person. So they're going to they're going to end up in jail again. Yeah, <laughs> like Amazon, Amazon. You're hiring people. We got a lot of men. And it's like, well, you can't fake it. You can take gender out. But we know what men say. And, yeah. I, you know, and I think there's really that's but that's also the hope to me, because seeing those systems and saying, wow, but it was also witnessing what was already inherent in the system. Yeah. And now it's almost like a mirror that says, wait, we don't want this world and we could do something with this technology that's just really powerful. Yeah. And my optimism comes from, you know, cleverness. Right. It's like, OK, there's there's a big hill to climb here to counter the easy forces. The easy forces are like, ah, just manipulate people and get the ad dollars and you'll become rich and it's all good. Yeah. Um, that's the that's the easy path. The harder path is what we've been talking about and viewing with humanity and you know different motives and whatnot. But I'm I'm optimistic about it because I think there's also other forces so in the mix. So I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that we're gonna be under the thumb of and humanity's gonna be snuffed out. It's like, hey, we have a fair chance. But it's that anthropomorphism, like we're just always projecting, if we were AI, we'd kill everybody. Yeah, Let's we'd kill us. everybody. <laughs> I saw an, uh, an investor in the VC talking on the All In podcast, and he was going like, what I used to invest five or 10 million in, he goes, I don't know if I'm ever going to put more than 200 to 500 grand. I, right. They don't need it. Right, right. You need a lot more smaller companies. And it, once you start... Um, this technology enables a lot more people. So a lot more genius shows up on the planet, right? Because genius, let's just say genius is everywhere, right? right. Now, for example, when I was at Microsoft, I left about a year ago. Um, one of the things I did was I helped us create de uh, dev centers in uh, Africa. So Kenya and Nigeria, mm -hmm. all right? So before that, we didn't have engineering on the continent of Africa. Microsoft didn't. Other companies did, but Microsoft didn't. So Africa as a whole, and a lot of people just think Africa is one country, but it's like Africa is like 54 countries, yo, and it's huge. <laughs> you know, it's like two or three sizes of the United States. So Africa has 1.2 billion people, roughly, you know, as a continent, and projections for demographics, and they're young. Average age is like 19. Okay, oh, wow. so. 
going forward, it's not going to be all the geniuses coming from Europe and the West in general. It's going to be Africa and India. Okay. Not even China. It's Africa and India. Right. So giving those people and oh my gosh, when I was there, they're just like, you know, they're young, they're hungry, they're thinking, they're geniuses. They, when you think about a billion young people, there's at least, uh, let's just call it five Elon Musks in there somewhere, right? Right. Those, between them and India, which is also one and a half billion people now, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So three billion people on the planet are kind of coming up. And as they're coming up, they're armed with AI, right? They're armed with mobile technology. They're armed with limitless data storage. They're armed with infinite compute power. They're armed with rockets that, you know, can put satellites in space. They're armed to the teeth with technology. So take the same genius that we had 20, 30 years ago and give them all that and see what they do, right? That's why I have optimism. It's like, they're not going to just go... Yeah, let's create ads. <laughs> it's like monetize those people. You know, I mean, these people come from places where they're starving just to exist. You know, they're going to yeah. come up with a billion new ideas. Advertising is going to be like, why would you waste your money on that when there's all these other things you could do? And the world is our oyster and we're in space and, you know, um, all these other things are going to happen that our minds today are just like, we're horse and buggying it, right? It's like, right. well, you know, horse and buggies. Oh, here comes the car. Okay, we're going we're gonna to create roads, uh, hotels. Okay. <laughs> just think what world they're coming into, right? 20 years from now where hotels in space are going to be normal. <laughs> Mining asteroids is going to be normal. Doing medicine in space is going to be normal. You know, uh, AI is just a tool and they're going to use it to achieve a whole bunch of stuff that we can't even imagine today. Just like people 50 years ago couldn't imagine what we're doing now with our cell phones in our pockets, right? So that's my optimism is like, I think we'll get past the point, assuming we don't blow ourselves up, but I think we'll get past this point and all that genius that's in Africa and India is going to create things that we, quantum computing, you know, it's like, what's going to happen if that ever becomes a thing? So their world is just going to be rich with challenges. And I think they're going to harvest and rise to the, the level of that, those challenges and come up with things. And they're going to look back at us and say, can you believe they were stuck on this ad model for like 20 years? What a waste of their genius. <laughs> you know, there's a bunch of bunch of billionaires that came from it, but what a waste. There's all these other things. <laughs> no, and they, and sorry I'm running on on this one, no, but no, they, also have, they also have different stories. So um, I was born in the West. I have Western heritage. I grew up on the Western canon of literature and all that sort of stuff. Uh, when you grow up in Nigeria, you weren't fed that. Right. You were fed different stories. And your culture is based on different things. It's a based on more family and family support and uh, village support. And yeah. It's just a different culture. So the, the motive to um, only do one thing, you know, capitalism, and, and that's it may not be their motivation. There may be other things. 
right? So they may yeah. lead in different directions where the profit motive isn't to just create a single year billionaires, but the profit motive is to make a whole society or a whole family secure, right? Or something like that. Right. So we're going to get different social um, social stories. Right. And, and let's see what they do with that, right? I mean, different perspectives. Um, if you didn't grow up with... Um, the oil rush or the gold rush as part of your um, your culture, yeah. uh, you may not think that exploiting the planet's resources is a smart thing. You may think differently. When you grow up starving, you might think that preserving farmland is more important than trying to get oil out of the ground. So, you know, you're going to have all sorts of different perspectives and that will drive different uh, behaviors, right? Depending on what goes faster? Does does that go faster or does, you know, capitalism spread faster? We'll see. But at least you you have the opportunities. Um, the other thing I want to say about this is it's um, we're also transitioning um, from in the early 1900s. We had the Industrial Revolution. We were slowly getting out of the farms into the factories, into the cities, you know, and throughout the 1900s, uh, that was true. Um, first, it was you know, the robber barons and, and yeah. the steel barons and the railroad barons and all these big industrialists. Um, and then we slowly got out of the factories after World War II and into white collar, right? right. Uh, office jobs. So um, more people using their intellect rather than their muscles, uh, their physical muscles. And now here at the beginning of the uh, 21st century, we're going the next step. It's like, okay, let's call it purple collar. <laughs> you know, it's okay. We, we stop using our muscles is no longer required. Our physical muscles is no longer required. We've got machines for all that. Um, now we're, uh, the white collar said, you got to use your mind. Now we're at a point where using your mind in the way that we used to use our mind is no longer required. Yeah. You know, I, I already see people whose writing skills are atrophying because they're using chat GPT. Right. It's like <laughs> I can't come up with a memo for my employees because every time I do it, I just it's easier to use chat GPT to do it. Mm -hmm. So I've lost I'm losing the skill to create memos, to create long form text. Right. And maybe even to communicate in general. So we don't know what purple collar is. And that's exactly where we are today. Right. Just like we didn't quite know what happened after we got out of the factories. Right. But then along comes these white collar jobs, service jobs, all, you know, all this sort of yeah. stuff. We don't quite know what comes next after we stop using our intellect or we enhance our intellect. But here it is. Right. We're right there at that moment where we're like, OK, it's not about me solving hard problems with my brain but it's about solving problems for humanity. You know, it's, it's about imbuing these systems with humane decision-making, you know, these sorts of things, right? And then maybe it's okay for me to have more leisure time and do other things, right? Because oh, my no, physical labor and my intellect time. is not needed. <laughs> yes, yes, leisure time. Wow, we finally get the dividend of all this. We can finally get off the treadmill, <laughs> right? Totally, totally. Like, yeah, GDP does not have to be about how many widgets you produce. Maybe it's about how many waves you serve, right? 
Well, you know, the uh, country Bhutan has a thing they call gross national happiness is one of their Oh, metrics. yes, that's the one. It was Bhutan. I was trying to tell my wife about this. Like, oh, there's this country where they're not into the whole capitalism thing. They're into happiness, right? So, yeah, you're right. It's a, just a different model, right? The AI Optimist. My name's Declan, and I'm done. See you next time.